from the newsroom of the Washington Post. This is Cleve Lutzer with the Washington Post. It's Ellen Nakashima with the Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, May 13th. Today, what's behind the run on gas? And why Peloton is recalling tens of thousands of treadmills. So tell me about some of the scenes that we have seen over the past couple of days on the East Coast. Well, from the Gulf Coast to the Washington, D.C. area, you've got people crowding into gas stations trying to fill up their tanks. Will England is an energy reporter for The Post. Anywhere from 20 to 40 to 60 percent of gas stations in some states are now out of gas. They can't get refilled fast enough. Huge lines formed across multiple states yesterday as panicked Americans started a run on gas. According to Gas Buddy, nearly 1,800 gas stations are out of fuel. Gas prices this week uh, nationally rose above $3 a gallon uh, as an average, a national average, which is the highest they've been since 2014. Motorists are filling up on fuel, concerned over soaring prices at the pump. Just filling up my tank, topping it off, and just filling up a gas can just in case. At the height of this thing, there were rumors that people were filling plastic bags with gasoline. And then there's a, a, somebody circulated on social media, a video of a woman filling a, a plastic bag. It's not quite clear whether that was staged or not, but enough people heard this news that it, it prompted the government to issue a warning saying, do not fill your plastic bags with gasoline. It's not a good idea. If you're trying to save gas during the gas shortage, don't put it in plastic bags. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission is issuing the heads up. The agency tweeting, quote, use only containers approved for fuel. People are panicking. And of course, because everybody wants to top off their fuel tanks, that's causing even further shortages of gasoline. So this seems like a a semi-crisis that kind of came out of nowhere. And from what I've heard from friends and family who are very worried about what's going on with gas, they have this whole idea that there was a cyber attack on a gas pipeline, and now there's just no gas. Is that true? There's lots and lots of gas, but the problem was until uh, last night, it was all being bottled up on the Gulf Coast at the refineries. So the issue was getting the gas from the refineries to the gas tanks of, of individual cars spread across, you know, a dozen states. The cyber attack didn't do any damage to the pipeline. Huh. So what is this cyber attack and like, what did it actually do? So late last week, the operators of the Colonial Pipeline realized that they were under this cyber attack uh, from the outside. And it was on Friday that they decided that they needed to shut down the pipeline to avoid any damage. There's this group that has been named Darkside. We think it operates probably in Russia or one of Russia's neighbors. And they infiltrated the computer system of the Colonial Pipeline, which is this big pipeline that takes almost half the gasoline from uh, that's used in the East Coast. And they got into the computer and it was a ransomware attack. So they're saying, we're going to shut down your computers. In fact, they, we've blockaded them unless you pay us this ransom. So the company moved, I think, probably rather adroitly and, and 
cut off, gated, as they say, the affected computers, infected computers, from the actual operations of the thing. So they had to shut down the pipeline. But the ransomware people did not get into the uh, actual, you know, operations of the of the pipeline. Darkside is a pretty interesting group. They're they're very organized. You have to apply if you're a crook to join them, and they have a uh, a code of conduct. They portray themselves as kind of like a Robin Hood outfit, huh. and you have if you're going to use them, you you have to agree. I don't know how closely this is policed, but you have to agree not to attack nonprofits or hospitals or government agencies. You're only supposed to go after private corporations. So this is like ethical hacking, theoretically. Ethical hacking, yeah. Wait, so it sounds like this attack, if the gas company was able to kind of cordon off the affected computers, how significant was that interruption in the gas pipeline? Well, you know, we've had interruptions before. We've had interruptions after hurricanes and, you know, other events. This one went on longer than than most, and it, of course, got a great deal of publicity from organizations like the Washington Post because it was a ransomware attack. So what we understand is that social media, I think particularly Facebook, sort of erupted in in, in flames over this this news and it in provoked people to go out and do panic buying to try to make sure they would have gas before the gas ran out. And in doing so, they made sure that the gas ran out. So the reason why all these gas stations are out of gas is not because of the attack necessarily like stopping gas from reaching all these gas stations. It's because everyone heard about the attack and was so freaked out that they all ran out and got gas at the same time. Well, it's really both. I mean, there the pipeline did stop. It did get harder to get gas to stations. Some deliveries continued, but they were fewer and farther between. But the level of purchasing, several days' worth of gas at a typical station in the southeast would be sold in an hour or two. And so they couldn't keep them supplied, in part because there were fewer supplies available. So how is this becoming a political issue? Well, Republicans have been seizing on this and sort of kind of indirectly blaming the Biden administration's green agenda. And Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, said, you know, this shows how stupid it was for Biden to cancel the um, Keystone XL pipeline. We need good American sources of fuel. Now, the problem with that argument is that the Keystone pipeline was going to be bringing fuel in from Canada. And it was, and it's, it's crude oil. And crude oil is, you know, a very different animal than refined products like gasoline or jet fuel. So, so what Republicans are basically saying is that there should be more redundancy in our kind of pipeline system and that the fact that this one pipeline is having problems right now to them says that we need more pipelines. Yes, I think that sums it up quite well. And the the argument for redundancy is not in, in itself a bad one, but Republicans are arguing as well that this shows how we really need to further exploit fossil fuels in this country because we have them and Many have made the argument that, you know, wind and solar and uh, electric power will never be able to take up the slack. And what is President Biden saying about this? Well, on Thursday morning, he spoke about the issue. We expect to see a region by region return to normalcy beginning this weekend and continuing into next week. In the meantime, I want to update you on what our administration is doing to accelerate this process. We're now at the point of, you know, looking back as much as looking forward. I think that all this week, the 
uh, response of the White House has been kind of in keeping with the way he's been running his administration. Uh, he's not out there. He's not out there tweeting, although the White House has kind of gone into an all-hands-on-deck mode. The Department of Transportation is involved, the Department of Energy, and the Department of Homeland Security. They've been relaxing environmental regulations about the blends of gasoline. In other words, in the Southeast, you're now able to sell gas that does not have the ethanol added to it. They've Uh, relaxed road rules on the weight of trucks and the hours of service that truck drivers are limited to, uh, which under normal conditions is not allowed. That's really interesting. Tell me more about that part of the problem of actually transporting the the gas. Well, (laughs) the problem is that when the pandemic struck last year, you know, there was a tremendous drop-off in demand for gasoline as people were staying at home. And a lot of drivers either retired or uh, found other work or just lost their jobs. So the the number of drivers in this country who are qualified to drive tanker trucks is about 10% less than it was in 2019, even though our gas consumption has returned to 2019 levels. So even before this colonial pipeline thing began, there was a real shortage of drivers in the United States, and that, that was causing a pinch on deliveries of gas. This just, you know, makes it exponentially worse. So what will it take to solve this problem and get us back to normal where all the gas stations have gas again? The operators of the Colonial Pipeline announced this morning that they have most of their system back on now and they expect to have all of it back on by noon on Thursday. The question now is just kind of, you know, straightening out the mess, getting gasoline from the pipe to the tank farms that receive it, and then from the tank farms to the trucks, and then the trucks to the gas station. So it's, it's going to take several days at least to kind of get all the kinks ironed out. What do you think this temporary crisis tells us about America? What it tells me about America is that we've gone through an era of ferocious cost-cutting, rationalization of all sorts of industries and businesses, which has left us with very little backup, very little redundancy, as you put it before. In the last 10 years, refineries that could produce 900,000 barrels a day closed in the Northeast, shut down because it was cheaper to get gasoline through this pipeline from the Gulf Coast. But that leaves us at the mercy of this pipeline coming from the Gulf Coast. And I think we may have reached a point looking at the freeze in Texas in February all the wildfires and electrical problems in California, that the country may have reached a point where we'll decide we have to build some redundancy into the system. I think it's super interesting to think about this problem or this situation in terms of infrastructure, but it's also interesting to just think about it in terms of the American psyche. The fact that, at least in some part, these shortages are a product of the panic buying. I mean, it reminds me of people like panic buying toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic because they thought that toilet paper was going to disappear off the shelves in the grocery stores. I mean, I don't know. What does that say about how we as a country experience and respond to moments of crisis? Well, I, I would say we as as human beings are prone to a, a scarcity mentality. If there's something you're used to having that suddenly looks like, well, oh, maybe you can't have it, it is a natural human reaction to, you know, try to replenish whatever stores you have. And then the other problem is once a panic takes hold, 
uh, you can be fully aware that it's a panic, but you still might want to have gas in your car. So you, you kind of have to join in. You still might want to have toilet paper. It would have required, you know, strong leadership by politicians who had the respect of most of the country to say, look, don't go fill your car. People were saying that, but um, no one really was listening. Will England covers energy for the post. The story was produced by Sabi Robinson. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. So, Todd, just start by introducing yourself and saying who you are and what you do. I'm Todd Frankel, and I'm an enterprise reporter in the financial section of The Washington Post. You have been reporting on the company that is Peloton, which is this company that has had a pretty incredible year in terms of its popularity and its brand. Just for people who aren't like familiar with the Peloton world, I mean, I don't think it can be understated like how popular this company is. Full transparency, I have a Peloton. I talk to people about the Peloton. It's like a whole culture. Yeah, no, it's huge. I mean, you know, part of that is the marketing that the company's done. They are not just an exercise company, but also a tech company. So they're sort of been beloved and adored on Wall Street, you know, high-flying stock price, advertising's everywhere. You know, there's sort of a cultural touchstone as well. As, as you said, the people who are fans of it are big fans. Saturday Night Live does skits about people who are Peloton users. And it's really much more than just another treadmill or, or exercise bike company. They sort of have this sort of cultural cachet that's uh, quite prominent right now. The pandemic has been especially good to a company like Peloton that makes home exercise equipment. They're sort of famous for their stationary bikes that are hooked up online to exercise classes that you can take in, you know, wherever you are. And with everyone being stuck at home for the past year and gyms being closed, Peloton's done very well. And not only do they make the stationary bikes, but they also make treadmills. So you have been reporting on the Peloton treadmill. Can you just describe like what this machine is? Yeah, so the the Peloton Tread Plus is this $4300 machine. It's heavy. It's 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 pretty big and it's sort of different than most treadmills that you see in that it has a track or a tr- it's almost like a tank tread running surface. Um and so instead of the smooth surface that you see on most treadmills, this one has sort of a track that rolls around the base of it. It's very similar to other Peloton machines in that, you know, it has the the big screen television up top where you watch instructors. And in many ways, it's sort of a conventional treadmill, but it has these little touches that make it different and stand out. And Peloton has done a very good job of selling these machines. And I think there's about 125,000 of them um, in U.S. homes, which it's only been around for three years, which is pretty amazing. Pretty good sales for that time. And the fact that it's $4,300, that's a lot of money for a treadmill. I mean, I think the expectation is you are getting the best of the best top of the line treadmill that money can buy. Talking to other treadmill makers, you know, that price point is is quite high. And there's the commercial market of treadmills, which you might see in gyms. Peloton Tread Plus sort of is in that mid place between 
the traditional home market and the commercial market. So it's it's definitely a high end machine. Well, we're going to start with some news uh, from Peloton. Gail, you yes. want to pay attention to this? Yes, As a Peloton owner, the fitness company Peloton is recalling all of its treadmills after initially refusing to do so. So we could go uh, Peloton surprised lots of people with announcing they were going to recall the Tread Plus, asking that consumers stop using them. They'd be offered a full refund for the machines, or they could keep them in understanding that they were no longer perhaps safe and that they would be receiving a safety software upgrade to use the machines going forward. So how did you start reporting on these issues or problems with the Peloton treadmills? So I um, have been covering the Consumer Product Safety Commission, which is responsible for product safety in, in the U.S. For the last couple of years, just sort of keeping tabs on what they've been doing. And I got word that the Peloton treadmills were having these problems. In addition, the company itself actually came out even before the, this got to the attention of regulators and announced that there was a death of a six-year-old child in March of this year on the Tread Plus. How does that even happen? How does a kid die from a treadmill? Well, at first, the details were a little sketchy. There's been little official information about what happened exactly. And so when Peloton first sent out a message about this one incident, what did they say? Like, did they acknowledge that there was anything wrong with the design of their treadmills? No, at first Peloton was defensive. And you see this a lot when, you know, a product injures or kills somebody. Um, there's this question of, is it user error or design error? You know, is, it, is the person to blame or is the product to blame? And Peloton very early on offered condolences about the death, but made it clear that they believe that this was user error. I mean, you know, treadmills are exercise equipment for adults, and they have warnings on them about keeping kids away. And there's different safety concerns. You know, people fall off treadmills all the time and get injured. But there did seem to be something different about what we were seeing with the Peloton machine. So after the uh, report of the child's death, it turned out there were other reports of um, children being injured um, involving the, the Peloton machine. Uh, you know, kids who um, broke bones, suffered severe cuts. You know, there were also reports of uh, like exercise balls being sucked under the machine, a report of one dog being sucked under the machine. And they all sort of had the same sort of fact pattern, which was coming in contact with the back end of the Tread Plus and being pulled underneath this treadmill. And this was something that safety authorities say doesn't happen with other treadmills. And so it sort of raised some alarm bells. Once a pattern of these kinds of incidents starts to become apparent, like, does Peloton have any responsibility to respond to that? What happened was there was a, basically a fight between federal safety regulators and Peloton. The CPSC, the agency that, you know, sort of regulates product safety, wanted Peloton to recall to basically take all their tread pluses off the market. They, they thought they were unsafe. Um, they couldn't quite identify what the exact problem was. You know, they couldn't identify exactly what was happening, but something was happening. It wasn't happening with other treadmills, and they felt like this was something they needed quick action. Peloton, however, felt like this was user error, essentially, that this was um, a case of folks not following directions. These were unfortunate accidents, but they were just accidents. There was nothing inherently problematic with the design of the machine. And so there was a basically a face-off, sort of a standoff between the two sides. When you say that there is a difference in the design of these treadmills versus other treadmills that people might buy or use, like what is that design difference? And is that something that's important? I don't think we know exactly how important it is, but what was different about the Peloton Tread Plus was the track, this tank tread track, which almost opened and closes as it goes around the, the end. It's kind of hard to explain, but if you can imagine that the track as it 
goes around the bend is opening. And then when it goes back underneath, it closes as it compresses uh, around that bend. Oh, so it's not like one big stretch of like rubber or whatever. It's, It's actually, there are different pieces that are kind of pincering open and closed as it slides around the treadmill. Exactly. It's slatted. And, and so those slats open and close. Yeah. So they're, you know, basically pinch points that come out at the end there. It seems like maybe the issue here is a combination of the slats plus the height off the ground of the machine and maybe some other factors such as a lack of a barrier in the back. I mean, really what they were alarmed by was just the, the, the case counts. So regulators say that there's been 72 different reports of um, adult users or children, pets, or even like exercise balls, different objects being pulled um, underneath the back of the treadmill. Uh, That includes like 29 reports of um, injuries to children. Um, Some of them quite severe. I mean, broken bones um, and pretty deep cuts and lacerations. There was this one YouTube video that the CPSC released um, when they issued a warning telling folks not to use the device. And it was basically a home security footage of a small boy getting sucked under the Peloton device. And it was really shocking. Okay, so this is a video from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. It's a about a minute long. So you see these two little kids playing on one of these treadmills in a playroom. There's a little boy holding a ball and... Very quickly, you see this kid's hands kind of get sucked underneath the back of the treadmill. Like the, he, his hands are stuck, the ball is stuck. You can tell that he's trying to pull his hands out. Um, and he seems to get free for like a second. And then his arm gets stuck again. And it the treadmill is like pulling um, his his arm, his head, his torso, like underneath the whole treadmill. I mean, almost all of his body is like under this machine, and then he finally is able to pull himself out and kind of run away. So how did the government decide to go after Peloton more aggressively and say, hey, you really need to pay attention to this? The Consumer Product Safety Commission cannot take a product off the market without the company's permission. They have to actually go to court and sue. Most people don't know that. They think, well, you know, if the government thinks it's unsafe, they can just yank it off the market. But actually... They need the company to agree. And in this case, Peloton did not agree. The, the CPSC wanted to do a recall. They thought there was a danger. They wanted to get it off the market. And Peloton was actually very upfront saying, no, we don't think this is the right move. And what happened was two sides went off and you know, sort of trying to figure out what the next move was. And the CPSC was actually looking to file a lawsuit when Peloton came back to the table, negotiating table. They said, all right, we were going to recall. Um, it was an entirely different strategy than they had been pursuing just three weeks earlier when their CEO was out front saying, we are not going to do a recall and assuring people that this, the product was safe. But you know, three weeks later, they were back and agreed to do a recall. And Peloton switched the attorneys they were using to represent them before the Consumer Product Safety Commission as someone who's better known for playing along with regulators. You know, and the stock price was getting hammered. The CEO even apologized for their earlier, you know, strategy of opposing the CPSC. So Peloton's initial response to all of this was that other treadmills can also be dangerous if they are not used properly or don't have the right precautions around them. And I, I wonder, like, what you make of that part of their argument, because, I mean, I have heard stories of people dying on treadmills, right? Like, and so I wonder if there is something to be said for the idea that like, maybe this is a type of machine that's just generally a little bit more dangerous than we realize. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And treadmills and the industry, have they've worked very hard to like promote safety and sort of make sure that space, especially behind the treadmill, which is 
the most dangerous point where people come flying off the back of it. What I think caught regulators' attention, what sort of stood out for them, was that all these problems that you were laying out happen with all treadmills, pretty much, whereas these incidents of kids or small pets getting sucked under, or even adults getting sucked under. And so it was something that seemed more specific than a broad class of risk. It seemed like it was very particular to Peloton's machine. And so what does a recall for this kind of treadmill entail? Like how many machines are we talking about and what kind of financial cost will that put on Peloton? So there's about 125,000 machines they believe out there and they are offering a full refund. So you can get your money back and they'll come and get it from you, take it out of your house. Or you can also have the option of keeping it with an understanding that, you know, the CPSC has recalled it and they'll do a software safety upgrade. Like some people are huge devotees of this machine and, you know, they'll do anything to keep it. And, you know, under the terms of this agreement that they struck with the CPSC, that they're allowing that. But Peloton has agreed to fully recall the Peloton uh, treadmill. So why do you think the government moved so quickly to kind of get to the point of saying, we want to file a lawsuit against this company? What do you think was uh, driving them to be more aggressive as a regulator here? Yeah, I mean, the CPSC has been criticized a fair bit in the in the past for, for being um, too lenient, too lax um, when it comes to product safety. You know, again, you know, they have to have a company's permission to do a, a recall. But in this case, the CPSC, whoever's the new administration, controls and runs the agencies. And they've taken a much more aggressive stance on companies, something they've sort of been promising to do but haven't done in recent years. Why do you think this story matters, even if you're not someone who owns a Peloton or cares about Peloton at all? Like, what do you think this story says? You know, government agencies are going to be taking a more aggressive approach. We all depend on basically the government to ensure clean water, you know, safe products, safe cars, right? If you think about the problems that we all had with uh, exploding car tires a few years ago, that was up to a, a government regulator to take action on that. And there's been some, you know, accusations that regulators were not doing enough to protect people. And I think this is a very clear sign that product safety is going to be beginning greater scrutiny from regulators going forward. I think Peloton was surprised by how aggressive the CPSC was. And I think their tactic of basically telling the regulator, you know, no, we're not going to play along, probably might have worked better a few years ago. And that's why they ended up agreeing to a full recall just a few weeks after saying, no, we won't. Does this also mean that you will likely not be getting a Peloton Tread Plus anytime soon? I mean, it's a really attractive machine. I understand the appeal, but I think I'll I'll stick to running outside for now. Todd Frankel is an enterprise reporter with the financial section at The Post. The story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Lena Muhammad. If you are not already a member, check out the Post Reports Facebook group. If you join, you can talk to me, you can talk to our producers, and you can talk to other listeners of the show about stories that you've been thinking about and news that you're interested in. Go to Facebook and search for Post Reports to find our group. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.